The basis for our sermon today comes from Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. We read, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. The word of our God. Brothers and sisters, I have a confession to make. I have a debilitating weakness for donuts. The other week, I needed to get out of the home office, and so I went to a Krispy Kreme to, to get some extra work done there, and that was my first mistake. I mean, you ever been to a Krispy Kreme? They have a brilliant marketing strategy. They just put a, a window there looking back into the bakery, and there you see it. Hundreds of glorious, golden, warm, sugary donuts slowly filing past you on a conveyor belt of temptation. They just parade temptation right there in front of your eyes. And you know, as soon as you bite into that gooey, hot-off-the-press glazed donut, it's just going to melt in your mouth. And at that point, just having one, ah, that's not going to cut it. Two, how about three? Four? When will it end? Now, eating donuts is not really a sin in and of itself. You are allowed to enjoy a hot-off-the-press, melt-in-your-mouth Krispy Kreme every once in a while. If you have one every day, then yeah, that, that might be a problem. But I think you know, we're not really going to just be talking about donuts today. We have temptations for things far more dangerous than a donut. We struggle to resist sin when it's dangled in front of us, when it is paraded in front of us in all its glory on that conveyor belt. We experience weakness and shame as we, yet again, pluck the fruit from the forbidden tree. Just like our ancestors, Adam and Eve, it's, it's the same old story over and over again. We know what we want. We take what we want. Even if we know it's not what we need. And we've all got our own Krispy Kreme weaknesses. Those certain unique temptations that just seem to have our number, that, that seem to lure us in just about every time. And today, ask yourself, what is my Krispy Kreme? What's that one temptation that as soon as it passes in front of my eyes, or 
enters the conveyor belt in my mind, already the battle's as good as lost. That, that temptation that I, I crumble and give into more often than not. The sin that, the one that reminds me of my imperfection day after day. What is it? And maybe think about where is it stemming from? Is it coming out of a place of envy? Slander? Lust? Selfishness? Insecurity? We've probably all got a, a lot of different Krispy Kreme weaknesses and yet there's usually like one or two that really stand out as major weak points in our life and identify those weak points because that's where the devil is going to strike you hardest and most repeatedly. As a believer, the devil is going to pursue you more intensely than he does an unbeliever because the devil loves nothing more than to grab someone who should be pure and upright and drag them down into the mud with him. And, and he knows, he knows to play on our wants. He starts by confusing our priorities to get us going after the things we desire instead of the things we really need. He tries to get us out of touch with God's word and God's gospel. He definitely wants to keep us away from coming to worship or getting encouragement from other believers. He wants to pull us into a slow conformity with the standards of the world rather than the standards of God. And he's patient. Very patient. And he knows that if he can get you to commit something once, then he's got you where he wants you because it's going to be a whole lot easier to get you to do it again. Really, the, the ultimate goal the devil has is to get you to, to a place where what you once knew to be wrong no longer registers as wrong in your mind anymore. That's where he wants to get you. And once you've been in that place, you might not even realize how you got there. It was such a gradual process because the devil is cunning and he's patient. And as much as we'd like to just blame the devil for all this, like, like Adam and Eve, we know we're to blame too. We know why, why it's so important for us to confess our sins each week here at worship because not a week goes by that we don't fall into temptation. And maybe we need to admit we kind of like playing with fire. We like seeing how close we can get. We, we like putting ourselves in, in situations where temptation can slowly file past us on that conveyor belt. And then we'll just see what happens. Not necessarily like we're going to indulge, but at least we'll be ready if we want to. If I had like an actual serious donut problem uh, to the point of sinfulness, then I should not be going anywhere near a Krispy Kreme or a Dunkin' Donuts or putting myself in that precarious position where I, I, might, I might fall. And yet we find ourselves crawling back to those same old places 
and that same old situations that get us in trouble. Because deep down we know. We know what we want. And it's not always what God wants. Thankfully, God, He knows what we need. He knows we need someone to withstand temptation. He knows we can't. He knows we need someone to fight temptation for us, to fight in our shoes. This is why we need, we need Jesus. He is exactly what the doctor ordered. Finally, someone to stand up to Satan, someone to to stamp down evil, sinful desires before they can even take root. And, and the thing we appreciate most about Jesus is that he's, he's not some aloof ruler or goody-two-shoes who's afraid to come down and frat, fraternize and associate with us. Jesus, he understands what we go through. He's been in our shoes. He's taken on human flesh and bones and blood. He's God with skin on. He's known our weaknesses. He's the king who comes down among his subjects and he sees how bad things really are. But then he doesn't just turn away in disgust. He fixes what's wrong. (laughs) For we do not have a, a great high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. Yet he did not sin. Jesus fights temptation in our shoes. Ultimately, putting yourself in someone else's shoes is what it means to empathize. To have empathy means to to understand what someone else is going through because you've played out what it would be like to be in their position. Or maybe you you've actually have been in that position yourself before. And the crazy thing is, God would not have had to do it this way, right? God could have found some other way to solve our sin problem without getting his own hands dirty, having his own hands pierced with nails. But God chose to become one of us so that he could prove to us without a doubt he is on our side. He steps into our shoes. He withstands temptation for us for every time we couldn't. And he, at the same time, he, he shows he can empathize with us. In Hebrews chapter 2, uh, another similar thing is said there. For this reason, he, Jesus, had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Jesus had the same conveyor belt of temptations passing before him like we do. 
He experienced what it is to share in our human weaknesses. He was fully human in every way. He felt real suffering when he was tempted and tested. And talk about being tested. Uh, Jesus had every right to, to grumble or lash out about what was happening to him. I mean, he had to die for everyone else's problems, not his own. He had to suffer the ultimate separation from his father, which he didn't deserve. He had to be patient with even his closest friends who were always so ignorant and disloyal to him. And yet he withstood temptation. He went through with this messy plan of salvation because that's what we needed. He was tempted in every way, just as we are. But there's one big difference. He was without sin. Jesus put himself in our shoes, became like us, and then he did what we needed him to do. To not be like us. That, that's the, the major difference between Christ's temptations and ours. It's in the results. His temptations never led to sin. And this is mind-boggling for our human brains to, to grasp. When you realize that even, even thinking out of line with God's will is sin, it makes what Jesus did even, even more incredible, that, that he wouldn't even entertain the thought of giving in to a temptation. Just imagine the the suffering, the strength of will it would take to do that. Jesus was tempted in every way like we are, but because he was without sin, I think you could make the the case that Jesus suffered more intense temptation than we do. Because he saw it all the way through, every single time, never gave in. No matter how hard it got, he suffered through it. He saw that with his ordeal with the devil in the desert, wasn't easy, but he did it. He withstood temptation. And now maybe you're thinking, wow, that, this is great. That, that Jesus withstood temptation? And that's incredible. Good for him. He's a, he's a really good example of how to do this. But you also realize that's not enough, is it? We need more than just a, a good example How does Jesus withstanding temptation help us? This is where Jesus, as our high priest, our great high priest, comes in. And the book of Hebrews explains this very well. It pulls us back into the Old Testament to see the important work of the high priest that he would carry out on behalf of the people of Israel. And in, in the Old Testament, this high priest, he would atone for the people. Atone is a, is a really important word to understand, probably. Uh, atonement is the act of bringing together two separated parties, bringing them back together again, to make them at one. And in the Old Testament, on the Day of Atonement, 
the high priest would enter behind the curtain into the most holy place in the temple. In this most holy place was located the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. And normally the Ark, the representation of God's glorious throne, this was off limits. You could not approach. No one was allowed to go behind that curtain into the most holy place. But once a year, on the Day of Atonement, the high priest could go behind the curtain, enter the most holy place, and approach the ark. There, he would sprinkle the blood of a sacrifice, the sacrifice of a bull and a goat, and make atonement for the people, sprinkling it on what was called the atonement cover, covering the ark. And the Lord said, This is to be a lasting ordinance for you. Atonement is to be made once a year for all the sins of the Israelites. By by blood, by a sacrifice, atonement was made for the people, taking away their sins. Now what Jesus does for us is far better than what the high priest did on the Day of Atonement for the Israelites. Unlike the the high priest in the Old Testament, Jesus himself came from the most holy place, like the real one, from the right hand of God at his throne in heaven. That's where Jesus came from. And he's ascended back into heaven, proving atonement is complete. Jesus doesn't have to sacrifice himself on the cross over and over again, year after year, like they did in the Old Testament, in the Day of Atonement. Jesus' sacrifice for sins, it's one and done. It is done once and for all. Our sins are forgiven. And the perfection that God required from us in order to be at one with him, this was fulfilled by Christ. And there, on on the cross, he committed his perfect life to you and me. Because he withstood temptation. He was without sin. He gave his perfection to you. That's what happened on the cross. And now, Jesus, as our, as our great high priest, he also gives us full and free access to the most holy place, the almighty throne of God. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. The throne of grace is open to you. Jesus has removed the barrier separating you from your holy God. You can approach. And you can approach with confidence because Jesus is right there with you the one who steps in your shoes, the one who atones for your sin. He's right there with you. At the throne of God, there is mercy. Mercy is God's love for the wretched, the one who has weaknesses, who falls into temptation, who should have no place standing before God in his presence. This one is welcome. Welcome to approach the throne of God. 
Because Jesus is the one that brings us there. At God's throne, there is grace. Grace is God's undeserved love. Grace to help us in our time of need, whatever that time of need might be, whether it's grace in our time of need when that temptation comes by on the conveyor belt. Grace to overcome it. And grace to forgive in our time of need when we've already lost that battle against temptation. When we fall into sin again and again, God's grace is there to catch us again and again. It's the same old story. The story of grace. The story of a Savior whose love covers over a multitude of sins. We who fall into temptation land in unfathomable grace. And so, let us hold fast to the faith we profess. Let's hold fast to Christ, the Savior we need. Let's hold fast to the one who steps in our shoes and empathizes with us. Let's hold fast to our great high priest who atones for our sin. Jesus withstands temptation for us. So we can stand with him at God's throne with confidence. Amen.